So it's like, it was really hard for us. And all that time we go to bed and we think this is it for us. We're going to be like that forever. Hassan Wiso came to Canada with his family via Lebanon from Syria in 2016. I was lucky enough to be one of Hassan's first teachers in Halliburton, Ontario, that fall. Welcome to The Safe Haven. I'm your host, Amanda Lytle. The Safe Haven offers a collection of conversations about life's challenges and the pivots we make in order to keep moving forward. Hassan and I learned to communicate as effectively as possible while he learned to speak English using Google Translate and a variety of translation apps. As his English got better and his trust in me grew, Hassan began to share stories about his life in Syria and the journey from Syria to Lebanon and then over to Canada. I remember being completely blown away to learn that Hassan had taken it upon himself to leave Syria to find work in Lebanon as a teenager in hopes of making enough money to help his large family flee from the war. Hassan was successful, making enough money to buy his entire family's bus fare to enter Lebanon in hopes of a better life. A life that he explains today got better than he could have ever imagined. I need to warn you before we jump into this conversation that Hassan describes some very traumatic situations that he and his dad were often in, crossing highways in large groups of people to avoid being shot and killed by snipers, as well as helping bury the people who didn't make the trip across the highway. We start with me asking Hassan what life was like in Syria at the time that he had to make the decision to leave his family and work in Lebanon. It started all when he was at school. They used to write on the school wall. They said, for all the parents, you will have the backpacks and the bodies of your kids will be for us. So they just threatened all the parents, right? And then all the parents just stopped sending their kids to school. So we were with our family for a long time and then the war was getting really, really bad. So we used to live in the city and then we, we had to move from the city to the country. And we went to the country there for like, I would say at least two years. We've just, just like back and forth, back and forth and just getting really, really bad. And then we decided to go back to the city because we thought everything is, you know, calming down. And we were really wrong. Everything was starting to go bad again. So the ISIS got in to the area that we are in. And we, they can't let anybody go because they know if the people left, the government will kill everybody, but they want the human shield, I guess I can call it. And if you want to go somewhere, you have to leave your family there and go. We, it's, it's like so, so bad. So anyway, we can't go anywhere. At some point, there's no food, there's just water. And then we had to go from our area where we were to the army side to get food. But there's like highway you have to cross and there's a lot of buildings, but on the high building, there's a sniper. Uh, that was a Russian sniper on the army side. And you can't walk by yourself. You have to wait for people and you have to be like 10, 20 and over. And you can't walk, you have to run and you have to run zigzag so the sniper don't get you. And always you just running and always see people beside you just dropping on the floor and you see people shaking, people just dropping and you can't stop. 
you just get to go. So we crossed and there's like a lot of people that get killed and we went, it was like terrifying moment. I thought I was going to die for sure. So me and my dad went to the army side. We got all we want. We tied the bags together. We put them over our shoulders and we waited again. It was like almost nighttime. And yeah, we waited for people and we had to cross again. And while we were running, the sniper got a mom and a kid. I felt really bad. I couldn't help. So I had to just keep going. So I kept going. And uh, after we passed that area, we had to stop and we had to pull people back to bury them. We had a hook and in a rope. We threw that hook to the people and hoping that hook would hook into their clothes or whatever so we can just grab them. And every time we throw that rope, the sniper just hit that rope and the rope would break, become a part. Mm-hmm. We ended up getting a rebar, like long rebar, and make it like a hook so we can bring people and bury them. And then after we got the food, like we were like for one week, no food, it just water. And if we had food, it will be like dry bread because we keep the dry bread and we sell it because the farmers would buy it for their animals. So we keep it. Whoever kept their bread, we just put water on it to make it last dry and we eat it. So that was like for a week. And then when we got the food, we were so happy. It was like, we felt like we win millions. So after a bit, we had chance to go back to the country and we went back to the country and uh, I saw all my cousins and they, most of them, they're in Lebanon. And so I just, one day, just, I thought about going to Lebanon because I am the oldest. And uh, I just told my mom, I want to go to Lebanon. And she was like, are you sure? And I said, yes. She talked to my dad and they agreed to send me to Lebanon. So I went to Lebanon for two and a half months with my cousins. And I made 700, maybe a bit more. I I honestly can't remember. And I went back to Syria. So when I went back to my mom and dad and my family, and I brought some money with me, they felt really good. Like they needed this money for food and for shelter. And so anyway, I went back there and I stayed for two and a half months in Syria again. And it was getting really terrible, like so terrible. So I decided to go back and work and try to get my family from Syria to Lebanon. So I, I went to Lebanon. And all what I'm thinking about, just work, save money. For three months, I have one pants, one work pants, one work shirt, and one pants to go out and one shirt to go out. And I have the same shoes for work and going out. So I go work. And when I see people buying candy or like anything, I really want to buy candy or buy clothes, but I couldn't because my family is more important. So I tried to, to just spend like least money's possible. I ended up saving over a grand mm-hmm. and I send it my family for bus tickets to come over. For context, how old are you when this is happening? Uh, when I went from Syria to Lebanon, I was like 14. Yeah. So you had taken on the role of working in order to fund the amount of money required or to fund the, the tickets to cross safely into Lebanon for your entire family. Yeah. I think it's time to tell the listeners how many people are in your family at this point. I have eight siblings and my mom and dad. At that time, I thought I would be able to afford them. Like I would be able to have them 
up there, you know, I wasn't as mature and I thought, oh, you know, it would be fine. So I sent him some money and I rented a house in Lebanon and my mom and my dad and siblings came over. And for that month, I struggled so much trying to help them. And my mom and sisters, they, they told me, you can't, you can't. So my mom and sisters, they found a work in greenhouse and I couldn't afford the house. Like I couldn't afford paying the rental on the house. So I had to come back, help my family move from that house to the refugee camp. So my mom and my family was living in a refugee camp and going from that refugee camp to their work every day. And they're, they were getting paid like less than a dollar an hour. And they would work like 10 hours. And that was my mom and two sisters. So they was there for, for a bit. And then we signed up to get help by the UN. And at the time I wasn't living with my family. I was three hours away working with somebody named Fuad. He's a Lebanese guy who has his own company, just building condos and sell them. So I, I worked for him and, uh, I was still helping my family at the time, but of course we we can't save any money because it's a, such a big family. And we had like, I think my three little sisters. Oh uh, no, sorry. We had Gadir was, I think was she was two years old and Rama was just born, I think. Yeah. So my mom, like she was working, taking a break and come back, feed the little baby and then go back to work. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it was really hard for us and all that time we go to bed and we think this is it for us we're gonna be like that forever our life gonna be like that so I worked with Vlad for the whole time I'm, I'm there and he helped me a lot and one day my mom and dad called me and they say well we got a call to go to Canada and I'm like that's a scam there is no way and I'm like honestly thought it was a scam they called my parents for meeting interview and I supposed to get my pictures taken and I did not get them because I thought it was a scam. Had there been scams happening that made you believe that? Oh yeah. And so what would a scam like that or or what would a scam like that even really do? Why was it a thing? So there would be people around telling you you will give us five hundred bucks and we'll get you to Canada. Oh, and then not actually get you to Canada? No, no, they would not. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I thought that was a scam. And I'm like, there's no way. I don't think Canada will bring that big of a family. Like, we are a big family. I was like, no, it's true. They called us for an interview. So anyway, my mom and dad ended up coming to my work, drag me to get my picture taken and go with them. So we went to the interview, first interview and it turned out really good. I felt a little bit better, but I still, I thought that was a scam. And I was talking to Fuad about it. And I'm like, so what do you think? He's like, I think you should go. I'm like, I think it's a scam. He's like, no, it's not. This is a chance for you to change your life. And you're a smart kid. Go. And I'm like, I'm really nervous about it. He's like, don't be. Go. So that was, it took like nine months since the first interview till the day we got to Canada. And I remember the... The second interview, we got blood taking and we got like all kind of tests. And then they drove us back to the refugee camp. And the third interview was telling us that we got accepted 
and they will be contacting us for the time for our plane. So I got really nervous. I'm like, what is going on? You know what I mean? Like I was so nervous and I was just talking to Fuad. I'm like, there's something not true here. Like there's something not right. Why Canada want to bring that many people? Like it's a big family. Like that's going to be a big expense for sponsors or for, for whoever's bringing us there. So anyway, Fuad said, don't be dumb. Go there. It's a chance for you and your family to turn your life around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was crying when I left this guy. Like I was working for him. It was like he treated me like his kid. Like I really missed working there. So I came over to Canada. I still remember that day. It was September 20th. We got to Canada and it was like, oh my God, we're in heaven. It was true. We just got our backpacks and everything and just walking around. And we see those people holding a big sign that says Wiso's. Wiso, but they just said and asked for Wiso's. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, this is our last name. And they had it in Arabic too. And we went there and we were so happy, like really happy. So they picked us up from the airport. We came all the way to Halliburton. And my mom, when you go, when you go to our house, it's just like you go into a garage, just framed and then concrete floor. And my mom thought that's where we're going to live, in that garage. And when she went in, opened the door, she was crying. Like, she was so happy that we had a chance to turn our life around. And yeah, so we came to Halliburton. We went to sleep right away just because we like this seven hours different between here and Lebanon. And the next day, we thought we woke up, but we thought that was a dream. Like we thought we had, we had a dream for sure. Mm -hmm. We just woke up going, walking around the house, checking the house out. You know what I mean? It's not a dream. It's true. And those, all those people, they come to you and they talk and we don't understand anything, literally nothing. We just say, yes, yes, yes. I think they've, they figured that they need translator. So every time they come to our house, they get a translator on the phone and they talk to us and we got to know everybody here. And, uh, we got a really good relationship with our sponsors. And then we went to school. And two months after I got to Canada, I got a job at Macat's. I remember that. <laughs> I got a job as a dishwasher and I had an interview with uh, Karen Freiburg. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so she was just talking to me, explaining to me about work and this and that. I just wanted the job. I like literally just want, I don't care what it is. I just wanted the job. So I just say yes, yes, yes. I under I, I just understood I gotta carry stuff from upstairs, downstairs, wash them and carry them back up again. So I start my first day. It was with my friend Evelyn Beachley. She trained me the first day. And I went there and I I was surprised because I was supposed to be a dishwasher and they just put me on running food. I'm like, oh my God, that's mean I gotta talk to people. And I am really shy. Like, I don't even speak English at the time. So <laughs> poor Evelyn, she had to put up with me. Every time she gave me a meal to go upstairs and take it to the table. I go upstairs before I go to the table, like halfway upstairs. And I come downstairs again. I say, sorry, what was it? <laughs> and I go up. Like, I did that a lot. It was so embarrassing. And I thought Karen was going to give up on me. Like, I thought they're going to fire me because, you know, like, she actually kept working on me and we, like, I got really good at it. And I was working there for two years, mm -hmm. but 
after I started at Macax, I got a job with CDH Carpentry and I started working in construction with him and Macax on the weekends. And then after a bit, I got laid off because it was winter. I decided to get another job. I applied to the rhubarb and I ended up working at the brewery, Washington Brewery. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I just started and I went to school. I started going to school, I think the second week we got here. Mm-hmm. And Sean Penelegian was driving me through the schools and telling me, this is school, this is school, this is school, and this is school. And what I thought he was telling me, I thought he's telling me this is a manufacturing and this is a manufacturing and this is a manufacturing because it looks so big, right? Mm-hmm. The schools in Syria and Lebanon are just like levels on top of each other, like so high. And I thought he's telling me they're, they're like manufacturers. I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, what does they make? You know what I'm like? I, I can't understand. And then when we went to school, I'm like, oh, he like he was telling me that's a school, like in Arabic, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then... I went to school, I went to high school, and then from the high school, I went to Adult Ed. I worked with Greg, Lori, and I think Kim was at the time. Yeah, yeah she was there too. Yeah, so I I can't remember when you came. The month of October. Yeah, and you had a lot of patience. <laughs> like, if I was in your shoes, I would probably give up a long time. Like No, way... I loved it. When I think back to the time working with you... And having been thrown into learning another language when I was 17 years old as an exchange student, completely different circumstances, the only thing that I could wholeheartedly empathize with in that case is I could not understand anything around me besides these people were happy and they were stoked that I was there. Yeah. That was it. And that's where I feel like I could just muster up so much extra patience because I was so keen to have you there with us. I recognize what you were coming from and how much you wanted to learn. Mind you, there were days you did not want to do schoolwork. <laughs> yeah, I, I admit it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's just incredible to see where you're at now because it's changed so much. I think it was the mentality when you first started doing school. It was like into medicine of some sort. You wanted to be in medicine or as a doctor and then you yeah know, I started with a doctor first yeah and then into paramedics and then I was like I don't know about this and then to see where this journey has taken you I also know let me add in that your excitement behind you getting a job was because you wanted a vehicle so badly <laughs> I did it was my dream I know it was like it was my dream to have a vehicle mm-hmm. and in the end I work and made it happen yeah I got a vehicle and I just wasn't thinking about getting a vehicle before I have a little little money saved but you did (laughs) such a fabulous job that's why I remember seeing you in that vehicle being like no way that is perseverance like I was just so impressed actually after I got that dodge the journey Mm -hmm. when I started working construction I started buying tools and you know just getting really into it I realized that the journey wouldn't, it's not working for me. I need something bigger. Mm-hmm. And if, do you remember Lois truck? Yes. Did you buy I it? I liked that. No. Oh. I liked that truck, but I bought the exact same truck, except the way, the one I bought is white. No way. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm really happy. But yeah, so right now, came here to start working, start to know all those people, learn the language because the language was like a big, worry for me I, I thought I would never be able 
to talk to people and understand people you know what I mean mm -hmm. so what I was like so worried that I wouldn't be able to learn and speak but thanks to you and all the teachers who helped me um doing really good now you're doing so well it's so it's incredible to see I'm I'm honestly like I, I can't stop smiling it's so it's so great <laughs> to see your face I know that the people can't see your face but I can <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, I do have a couple questions, though, for you, and I don't want to pull you too much back to the scene that you had described at the beginning of, of this conversation. However, when you're in your teens and you are seeing awful things and you're living in fear, because Syria was quite peaceful before this had happened, you had an idea of what that could look like. So my question is, did you ever actually picture being anywhere besides that space at that time? No. The only thing kept me going forward is my family because we were in need for a lot of stuff mm -hmm. like food, everything, like anything you need to survive. Right. And I know my mom and sisters, they couldn't be, they couldn't do it because they're taking care of the little three boys at the time. And uh, it's uh, like, don't get me wrong. When we left, I hugged them because we thought if we're not coming back, you know, so we just hug them and say goodbye and we go and they will be like so worried till we come back mm -hmm. so you say that you're still in touch with Fouad which makes me so happy because I yes. felt like I got to know him when we were hanging out in 2017 which is so great so I mean after COVID is there plans to just to see one another to travel back to have him here yes so hopefully when COVID's over I will be going there for two weeks beautiful yeah. And uh, we will be working there. I'll be working with him there mm -hmm. in this two weeks. So, oh, he'll be so happy. That makes me you. really happy and excited. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he, you remember that card we wrote for him? Yep, I do. He still has he it. He actually got it. Oh, yeah. Oh, my heart. He have it in his office. And that when he sent me a picture of it, I'm like, oh, my God. I did not even know you got that. I thought it got lost. I still have a picture of you standing in front of the mailbox when we sent that. Oh, really? Yep. I, I went through like a lot of phones. I lost so many pictures. <laughs> I can send you these photos. <laughs> oh, Hassan, this is amazing. I have three safe haven style questions for you. These are the kinds of questions. There's only three of them. I throw them at all of my guests at the end. So are you ready? I am ready. What are you most proud of? Proud of surviving the war and getting my family to a safe place. Mm -hmm. What would you like to be known for? Hard worker. <laughs> yeah, hard worker. Okay. <laughs> and if you had a message for everyone listening, what would it be? No matter what, don't give up. Just keep trying and you will get to where you want to get. Because at some point when I was working for Fouad, every time... I go to sleep, I cry because I thought I'm going to be this person, just a worker like that forever. I would never be able to have a family. I would never be able to be someone. I'm just going to be that worker. And look now, um, in a really beautiful place around really good people. And I have jobs that I like. I have everything I like. And yeah, I don't think just no, nobody will give up. No matter how many times you fail, just keep trying. So good. Hassan, thank you so, so much for today. No, thank you. And thanks for everyone who helped to get us here.
we're really happy and we're thankful、mm-hmm. to be here. Hassan, I hope you feel so deeply proud of everything that you've accomplished and have done for your family. I feel so grateful for our time together and the fact that we're still in touch with so many great memories to look back on. I wish you nothing but success in the future, and I know that even more goodness is coming your way. To everyone listening, I recognize the privilege that comes with my platform, and I am committed to creating a safe, brave, and inclusive space with intention. If this episode has hit you right in the heart or inspired you in any way, please screenshot the screen while you're listening, send it to your friends, and share it in your Instagram stories. Please be sure to tag us at the Safe Haven Podcast so we can personally thank you for it. If you're able to write a review or leave a juicy five star rating on Apple Podcasts, that really helps this podcast grow. For more great podcasts, check out FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com, and I will talk to you next week.